All right, Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Hey guys, how are you this morning? Good. Easter at the Rogers, that's next Sunday. Are you guys coming? Raise your hand if you're coming. Raise your hand if you're not coming. Well, that's... Nice little trick there. Hey, uh, seriously, as, as Philip said, um, this is an opportunity for you guys to uh, cash in on those relationships. Maybe it's been a work member, uh, a work member, who says that? Maybe it's been a coworker. Maybe it's been somebody who, you, a family member or a friend that you've been praying for, pouring into. Hey, all it takes is this card or a, hey, you want to come to Easter with us this Sunday? Invite them. Invite them to come. They will hear the greatest news they have ever heard in their entire lives. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to fill you guys in on one thing. Um, I'm going to try and keep it in under half an hour for your sanity and my voice. All right. Yeah, we'll get that applause. All right. So this morning we've been in the Memento Mori series, which is Remember Your Death. And we've looked through in the season of Lent, kind of joining in the church history idea of taking a time to reflect on the week before Jesus' crucifixion. 
And this week is actually Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a day where Jesus is recorded in Scripture to come into the city of Jerusalem, and they honored him, and they sang, Hosanna in the highest. Glory to you, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. Hosanna in the highest, the son of David. And so today is a day of rejoicing. But through the next week, as we follow through in Scripture, we will see what takes place with Jesus. He has his trial, he is beaten, he is arrested, and then he is executed. But then three days later, we have the good news, and we have the resurrection. And so I'm thankful for this series because it aligns us with where we are in the church calendar and church history. But we've also covered a lot of really interesting things and a lot of helpful biblical things about what happens after we die. And where do we go after we die? What are these places the Bible talks about? Gehenna, or hell, or Hades, or heaven, or paradise, or eternity with the presence of God. And so this morning, last week, we actually talked about where we go when we die. And this morning, for believers, I want to talk about what are we going to do there? What are we going to do when we get to heaven? What are we going to experience? And I want to ask you a question. Honestly, like, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I like doing that. I like making you uncomfortable. So raise your hand if you've ever tried to think about heaven. All right. Raise your hand if it gives you anxiety. Yeah, okay, so when I, I'm going to tell a story for those hands raised. When I was a kid, I used to try and, and grapple with this idea of heaven, something that was like a long road, right, that had no, no finish line. It was this long, never-ending road that got to a point that never ended. And it, it essentially gave me anxiety to find and think about something that had no end. And I, my grandfather, I talked to him about it, and I love this man. He's the one who introduced me to Jesus Christ. And he tried to ease my pain, and he was like, hey, what's something that you love? Like, what's your favorite food? And I was like, I don't know, pizza? Like, okay, let's roll with pizza. And I was like, great. And my grandpa said, imagine an endless row of pizzas. Imagine the most pizza you could ever eat. You'll never be full. You'll never have that feeling of... of being full from pizza, and I was like, this isn't helping. <laughs> like, like, this is not helping. This is not, and I think, I think as we'll unpack this morning of what we'll be doing in heaven, we will see what the missing piece was in that story, and the missing piece was Jesus. The missing piece was not pizza. The missing piece was Jesus Christ, and so I want to unpack maybe some common thoughts that we have on heaven, some common thoughts that we, I kind of did a Facebook poll and did a bunch of reading, and I went to a, a, a Hallmark store and read a bunch of cards, and I'm just kidding, I didn't do that, but, but these are kind of some of the things that we unpacked, um, just hearing from you guys and from people across the country and some research this week. Um, the first one is this, that it's going to be really boring, right, that we have this idea that we're all floating around with harps and we're playing we're playing musical instruments and sitting on clouds, and it's just the most awful thing that you could think of, and that it would be extremely boring. Um, Huckleberry Finn is written by, Tom, uh, by Mark Twain. I want to read you a quote that he wrote when, um, when a character was asked about, uh, when Sawyer was, I'm sorry, Huckleberry Finn was asked about where he would rather be. He said, now she had a good start and went on and told me all about this good place. And she said all a person would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. And I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted me and him to be together. Mark Twain would later go to write in his memoirs that I would rather heaven for the climate and hell for the society because heaven would be a beautiful place to visit, 
but hell is where all my buddies would be, and that's where we would be hanging out, and that's where the real fun would be. So the first idea is that heaven's really boring. The second common thought that we have about heaven is that it is reuniting us with loved ones. And that's not wrong. We'll unpack here what we see John seeing in what the text that was read to you. I believe that we will see our family members again, and we'll unpack that in a minute. But imagine the most of the conversations that you've ever had with anyone who's lost a loved one, and then you ask them about heaven. Nine times out of ten, you will hear a response of their, the thing they look forward to most is to see mom or to see dad or to see grandpa or grandma or to see that baby or to see that brother or that sister or that friend. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Yes, that is there. That is in heaven. But that's not all. That's not all we have to look forward to. Another common thought that we have on heaven is that it's a retirement for hard workers. Retirement for, I've never been to a funeral of a man that it wasn't mentioned how hard that mug worked, how hard that guy worked in the field or, or out on the land or under the house or at the office or whatever. It's always mentioned because that's what we do with our lives. We work and we put forth effort. And this idea is very common that heaven is a place that is a long season of rest that is for those who work hard. Again, I want to encourage you. It is that, but it's not just that. Another common view that we have of heaven and its purpose is that it's a reward for good people. Now, I've got some news for you on this one. The book of Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are no good people until those people are brought out of death and into new life in Jesus Christ. So heaven is not really boring. Heaven is not just reuniting us with loved ones or retirement for hard workers And it's certainly not a reward for good efforts. It is, however, a reward for those who love Jesus Christ. So I want to submit to you this morning that heaven is so much more. And here's why. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, it says these words. They will see his face. We will see the face of Jesus Christ, guys. We're going to see him. We're going to get to hold him and hug him, and thank him for redeeming us, and redeeming our friends and our family. It's all the things that we discuss, but it's so much more because we will see his face. And so yes, we will see Jesus, but what will we be doing? And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to spend a little bit of time, maybe the next 25 minutes, talking about what we will be doing in Heaven. And the first thing that I see, the three things I see in the text here in Revelation 4, is the first thing we will behold the beauty of God. We will behold the beauty of God. Look at your Bibles in verses 1 through 3. Let's unpack this. After I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven, and there was one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. If you know what those stones are, you're a geologist and I'm not. But it was amazing. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne there were 24 elders, and they were singing and casting their crowns and all of this great stuff. I want you to notice John's attention. He says, look, and he says, behold. Behold. His focus and his attention is outward. 
And I want to unpack just a few things of what John sees, and then I want to talk about what we see. So what does John see in the text? What does John see? The first thing he sees is an open door. Look at the second half of verse 1. He says, And behold, a door standing open in heaven. Guys, this just reminds me of one of the names that Jesus gives to himself. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. If anyone enters, it's by me. And he'll be saved. And we'll go in and out to find pasture. That's resource. That's rest. That's guidance. That's comfort. John sees an open door. What else does he see? He sees a voice saying, come here, and I will show you. And if, if any of you have a Bible like mine, some of you have uh, red letters when Jesus is speaking. Right there at the end of verse 1, it says, the voice said, come up here, and I will show you. That's Jesus speaking. And I'm reminded again in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. Come here. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John sees an open door. And he hears a voice that's calling and saying, come in here. Come to me. He also sees an awareness of being in the Spirit. So we have here in verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit. He also sees a throne and someone on it. And I want you, if you have a moment, um, maybe after the service today or right now, and just don't listen to me for the next 30 seconds, but the word throne is used in these, in these verses 12 times. 12 times. I think John is trying to tell us something, that his focus and his attention is on a throne, and it's not empty. There's someone on it. There's someone occupying this throne. As he describes and attempts to grasp, we don't get like a, a bodily or human description of who is seated on the throne, but we get these majestic uh, descriptions of, of jasper and carnelian, and there's a rainbow and light emitting from this thing. His focus and his attention is on the beauty and the glory of God. Because there's a throne, and there's someone on it, and that person has authority, and that person has dominion over everything in the universe, in your life. And he also sees lightning and thunder. In Exodus chapter 19, I'm just reminded of Moses and the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. What John is experiencing and displaying to us is a peek behind this heavenly curtain of what it's like to be in the fully embodied presence of the triune God. We have God the Father seated on the throne. We have John in the Spirit, and we have the words of Jesus present. Come here, come to me, I will show you. He's describing the full, immeasurable beauty and glory of God. That's what he sees. That is what John sees, but what do we see? What do you see when you look around, just in your life? And guys, I, I'm at a point in my life and in my heart, I'm not here to rail on you or to, or to lash you with anything. I'm here to invite you into a better view of what heaven actually is. 
a biblical view of what we will see. But I'm afraid that when we look around and what this broken world has to offer, we flip on the news and we see war. We open our bank accounts and we see red. We pull up Facebook and we see, we see horrible decisions from family members and from friends. Or maybe our focus is more inward and we just see ourselves. We see our needs and how our needs aren't being met or how our emotions and my thoughts and they just don't understand and if they, if they, if they reached out more or if they, if they talked to me more. What do we see as children of the living God, knowing that this is our destination. How do we view the world through this lens? I want to submit to you this morning what we will see. Our hope and what we have for what we will see is two things. Number one, our focus will only be on God, not us. Our focus will only be on the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the triune God. Because there will be nothing else to behold. Because He's so amazing. Because He's so good. Because He's so awesome. And it will be the most amazing thing that we've ever seen. That's what we have to look forward to as we behold the beauty and the glory of God. And it's not just in the future, guys. We are invited to see this now. We are invited to see this now. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. When you look at a sunset like we saw last night, or a sunrise this morning, when you go to the mountains or the beach, whichever one of those is your thing, you feel small and you see creation shouting at you the beauty and the glory of God. We're invited into a taste of that now. We also see it with what we have in the scriptures to describe of us of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. You want to see the glory of God? Look at your Bible and look at Jesus. We get a taste of what it is to behold the beauty and the glory of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it's going to be the greatest thing we've ever seen. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God's prepared for those who love Him. And that's actually a quote from Isaiah 64, which translates it this way in the Hebrew. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. Guys, we are invited to see the beauty and the glory of God now. So I want to invite you today, look for it. Look around. Wherever you go to lunch, whoever you hang out with, if your head hits that pillow and you get that Sunday nap, God bless you, look for God's beauty and His glory today. And write it down. And then tomorrow, look at what you saw yesterday and let it be your fuel for that day. Open up your scriptures, open up the Bible, and give glory and honor to the God who reveals himself to you and shows himself to you by his creation, by his word, and by his son. So we won't just behold the beauty and the glory of God, but we will also, we will be with the people of God. We will be with the people of God. Look at your Bible in verse 4. 
In verse 4, it says, around the throne were 24 thrones. Let me just precursor here. They're, they're lesser thrones. They're littler thrones than God's throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. And I did a lot of research this week. A lot of people think that these, these uh, 24 elders represent angels, and they represent... I don't know. What I do know is what we have in Scripture to tell us that it actually would represent the people of God. We have a couple passages. One of them says in Revelation that they are clothed in white garments. In the passage we just read, they're clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. If you jump back a chapter in Revelation 3, the one who conquers, this is Jesus speaking, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. And in 1 Peter 5, and when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we're working this morning that they represent God's people, okay? We're working this morning saying they represent people who love Jesus. Imagine that thought, that we serve a God that is so good that he doesn't just allow us to behold his beauty and his glory and that's it. He allows us to be with his people. And to be in unity and in community eternally with one another. I was reading a, 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 a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, surprise, surprise, on, uh, on heaven. And I want to read to you, uh, it's a little lengthy, so work with me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it in such a way that you may not be bored. Spurgeon says, I have dear departed friends up there. And it is always a sweet thought to me that when I shall put my foot, as I hope I may, upon the threshold of heaven... There will come my sisters and brothers to clasp me by the hand and say, Yes, thou loved one, and thou art here. Dear relatives that have been separated, you will meet again in heaven. One of you has lost a mother. She is gone above, and if you follow the track of Jesus, you shall meet her there. And I think I see yet another one coming to meet you at the door of paradise. And though the ties of natural affection may be in a measure forgotten, I may be allowed to use a figure. How blessed would she be as she turned to God and said, Here am I and the children that you have given me. We shall recognize our friends. Husband, you will know your wife again. Mother, you will see those dear babies of yours. You marked their features when they lay panting and gasping for breath. And you know how you hung over their graves when the cold sod was sprinkled over them and it was said earth to earth, dust to dust, and ashes to ashes. But you shall hear those loved voices again. You shall hear those sweet voices once more. You shall yet know that those whom you loved have been loved by God. Would that not be a dreary heaven for us to inhabit where we should be alike but not know each other? I wouldn't care to go to such a heaven as that. But I believe that heaven is a fellowship of the saints and that we shall know one another there. We shall know one another there. We will see those loved ones. And in the sheer ability to see their face and to worship and to glorify the God of the universe alongside them, God's beauty and majesty will be even more magnified to us. And it's not just because we will be there, but we will be perfectly unified. We will be perfectly unified together. Just as it is in heaven on earth, 
There'll be no more quarreling, no more fighting or bickering, no more unresolved conflict, no more secret conversations, no more lying, no more hiding. We will be in perfect unity with one another. What's the application for us from this? Sorry, I jumped ahead because I can't see my sheet. <laughs> John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus prayed for this unity for us, this perfect unity. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us in the future here. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Here it is. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one in heaven, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus prayed for this for us, and this is the glimpse that we get to see. This is the hope that we have. And I want to say this. Unity now prepares us for eternity. Unity now prepares us for eternity. I want to challenge and encourage you. Is there a broken relationship that needs mending? Don't wait on them. Just do it. Pick up the phone. Just call them. Shoot them the text. Ask them to lunch. Hey, I know things have been off between us. I want us to be unified. And I want a taste of what it's like in heaven to be with you in front of Jesus. Let's take care of this now and practice what it's going to be like in eternity and fulfill what Jesus prayed for us now. So I want to ask, are you, are you pursuing unity now? Am I? Guys, it's good news. There's no shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's an invitation. There's a calling. So imitate that. Call that person. Talk to that person. Reconcile. And practice and get a taste of what we will be doing in heaven together with God's people. So we will behold the beauty and the glory of God. And we will be with the people of God. But what are we all doing together up there? What will we be doing? We will bring our worship to God together. We will bring our worship to God together. Just a list of things I see in the text. In verse 10, we will bow together. In verse 11, we will sing together. Again, in verse 11, we will remember what God has done. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. But it's not just that. I believe that we will work as God intended. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I believe that through God's grace, He will allow us to do what He designed and created us to do. You'll have a job in heaven. You may not get paid. Or you may get paid. I don't know. There's something about mansions in there. 
but I believe in God's goodness. We will also do things like create together. We will get to use the creativity and the minds that God has given us to make things. It says in Genesis chapter 2, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. That's something God gave Adam to do. So if you want to name all the cows, this is your place. (laughs) Guys, it's so much more. What we do on a Sunday morning is is just a, a faint reflection and a glimmer of what we will do for eternity. That's why I want to encourage you this morning, just as the scriptures say in Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Open your mouth, sing with us when we sing. And later on in Psalm 63, and in your name I lift my hands. Raise your hands and surrender to the God who owns everything, who owns your life, who owns your marriage, your bank account, those kiddos, your babies, your families. Guys, it's so much more. We will behold the beauty and the glory of the triune God who will be fully manifested presence to us. We'll see the light coming from His throne. We won't need lamps or candles or electricity because He's so glorious. It's so much more. And it's not just what we do in this building when we read scriptures together and we give glory and honor and praise to the God of the universe. It's how you live your life. It's how you navigate your friendships and your marriages and your parenting and your relationships. All of it, God and His majesty and His glory is woven together for us to be able to experience now. And I get emotional because this is so near and dear to my heart. God has created me as an emotional being, if you can't tell. He's created me in such a way to express and to use creativity to glorify His name. And I'm honored to have done that with you for so long. And I get emotional because, guys, we are experiencing a taste of heaven now. And it's a good thing. Just by show of hands again to make you uncomfortable, if you have experienced what John is describing, what I am describing, just a taste of heaven on earth in this church or in your life, raise your hand. Look around. You're not alone. We have a hope in heaven and His name is Jesus. And He's present with every single one of you who raised your hands in those moments. And even in the moments we don't notice. It's so much more. And we have everything to look forward to, guys. And we will do all of these things to the glory and the honor of God. All of these things will be done to His honor and to His glory. We'll play, we'll laugh, we'll rest. You ever wanted to learn to sail? I have. That's kind of my dream. I believe I'm going to get to sail with Jesus. I believe He's going to sit at the table and we'll play games together. I believe we're going to write songs together to sing for eternity to the glory of God. I believe we're going to be so open to the beauty of this book beyond what we can see that we'll treasure it for eternity. It's so much more, guys. We have everything to look forward to. And in God's grace, we can taste it now. 
we can taste and see that the Lord is good. (sighs) Hold on. Let my eyes dry and let me see where I'm at. I want to close with this. Invite the band up. As we go into a time of response, a time of singing, a time of getting a taste of what this will be like in heaven. Now I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon again. He said, Charles Spurgeon in his sermon on heaven said, Now I will confess what is to me the most prominent feature of heaven. Judging at the present moment, at another time I may love heaven better for another thing, but lately I've learned to love heaven as a place of security. A place of security. God has brought home to you a sense of your security in the person of Christ. He has told you that your name is graven on His hand, for He has whispered in your ear the promise, Fear not, for I am with you. In closing, I want to encourage you. We will be free in heaven. You may think to yourself, How is all of this achievable? How can I even make it to a place to where I am so captivated by God's glory that I no longer want the things that my body and my flesh want now? I'll no longer long for those images on the computer. I'll no longer long for that larger number in the bank account. I'll no longer desire for that promotion or that raise at work. I'll no longer look for solutions or resolution at the bottom of a bottle or with a substance or anything like that. Because we will be free of all of that. Guys, I believe there will be no temptation in heaven. There will be nothing to captivate us more than the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God. Being in His presence will be so fully satisfying, we won't want anything else. We won't desire anything else. And we get to do it with other people. We get to do it with those who love Jesus. We get to rejoice. We get to play and laugh and sing and bow and read. Because we'll be free. We'll be free from every chain that holds us in this life. From every temptation and every sorrow and every bitterness and every desire. Because every desire will be met in the person of Jesus, in the glory of God, in the presence of His Spirit. Every desire, can you, can you imagine? We're going to see Him. We get to taste it now. We will be free to behold the beauty of God. We will be free to be with the people of God and we'll be free to fully bring our perfect worship to God. Revelation 21, 1-5 gives us a taste. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And here it is. Here's how we're free. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or any kind of pain 
for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus my greatest hope in heaven? Is Jesus my greatest hope? Yes, we will see loved ones. Yes, we will get rest from work in our bodies on this life. It will not be boring. It is our greatest hope, Jesus Christ, and that we're going to get to see him. You know, this last week, I got a picture of my daughter. This is, this is Jessie Ray. Um, she's our firstborn, and uh, she's got a lot of questions now. She's asking, Daddy, how much do you love me? And so at night, when I put her down, I try to, I try to describe it. try to tell her, baby, you know how you love to count, to count numbers. I love you more than there are numbers to count. And so we call that infinity and beyond. And I closed the door the other night and I heard her say through the door, Dad, I love you more. And I just felt the Lord say, you know how much you love that girl? I love you beyond that. That's what's calling us to eternity. The endless, matchless love of God. As we echo with the angels this morning and sing, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the fuel for that glory and that praise. Is that we will experience that limitless love that never ends eternally worshiping and enjoying God starts now, guys. And I'll leave you with the last five verses in Revelation 22. You can stand as I read this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more they will need no lamp of light or sun for the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever would you pray with me this morning Heavenly Father thank you for this word thank you for your good news that we get to taste eternity now that we have the hope of Jesus and what he accomplished to look forward to being with one another in heaven to behold your beauty and your glory and to worship you eternally. So may we taste that now as we sing this song, as we join in what is already taking place in eternity. We ask it all in the mighty and living name of Jesus Christ.